Well, welcome everyone. Welcome to you at Homer Glen and New Lenox, Orland Park, uh, online. So glad to have you with us online. We're, we're, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking like John 3.16, whatever. That's okay for you, but he didn't die for me. I mean, I don't deserve it. And that's the beautiful part of this story. I hope you understand that. N- neither did they. I mean, do you think Mary Magdalene, who'd been possessed by demons, felt like she deserved it? Matthew, who has been a tax collector and a thief and a traitor to his people. Peter, who had just denied Jesus three times after he said he wasn't going to. James and John, who had recently been politicking for the best seats in the kingdom. And all of them fell asleep when Jesus needed them the night before to pray with him, right? Jesus' disciples didn't deserve it either. They looked more like the the dollar store fake peeps than they did the real ones. They were a little melty. Don't miss the fact that there really wasn't anyone hanging out with Jesus Holy Week, except his mom, that any of us would have thought deserved his sacrifice. So let me let you hear from a theologian I I read this week named Bono from a group called U2. You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, or in physics, every action is met by an equal or opposite reaction. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. And yet, along comes this idea called grace to upend all that. Grace defies reason and logic. Grace interrupts the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. Really, this is Bono. I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. I'd be in deep, you know what, there you know it's him. I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins on the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. I love the idea that God says, look, you Cretans, there's certain results to the way we are, to selfishness. There's a mortality as a part of your very sinful nature. And let's face it, you're not living a very good life, are you? There are consequences to actions. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that what we put out does not come back to us. And that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death. That's the point. It should keep us humble. It's not our good works that get us through the gates of heaven. That's said better than any theologian I've ever read. But the problem is that even if you believe that, you're still only getting part of the picture. Yeah, maybe Jesus died to save me, and it's actually possible that there's a heaven and it's going to be great with the puffy clouds and the harps and the baby angels wearing diapers and all that stuff. But, But I live here now, and I feel like one of those dollar store peeps. And that, I would say, is the big Easter miss, okay? The miss is that Easter is about after I die, that eternal life starts later. Please just listen to Jesus himself, would you? Okay. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has crossed over from death to life. What do you got to do? You got to hear, okay, you're doing that right now, and believe. What happens if you hear and believe him who sent me? He has eternal life, and he has crossed over from death to life. Any English people in here, what tense is that? That's present tense, right? 
It's not future tense. Future tense is we'll have eternal life. Maybe we'll someday have, be, be able to cross over from death to life. But the resurrection means this is all available now. If Jesus would have just died on the cross, then that would have been about later. But resurrection means that we can have eternal life now, that we can have higher love now. A psychologist asked 3,000 people this question, what do you have to live for? And 94% of them said they were just merely enduring their lives, hoping someday that things would get better. That's like looking for higher love in someone else's heart. It's not going to work. Samuel Coleridge said, hope without an object cannot live. We need an object to hope in. And that's what Easter is. That's what Easter is all about. Listen to Peter. We have been born again into a life full of hope. How is that possible? Through Christ rising from the dead. Hope comes from resurrection. The New Testament uses the word hope 71 times, and 70 of those times are after the resurrection. Because until the resurrection, it was hard to have hope. Please remember that the the women are on their way to the tomb to bury Jesus. Okay, if you don't know the story, Jesus died on the cross on Friday, and Sunday they went to the tomb. They went to the tomb to anoint his body. This was like the the last burial thing that they were going to do, to put spices on his body and say goodbye. So let me ask you this. What what are you on your way to bury this Easter season? And by that I mean, is there anything in your life you think, this is just hopeless? Maybe for some it's a relationship. You had such high hopes for what could be, and somewhere along the way everything changed. You put a lot of work into it, but it just seems hopeless. Or maybe it's a financial mess. You can't imagine ever getting out of. Bills keep piling up, creditors are calling up, and you feel like giving up. You're just buried. Or maybe it's something physical. Maybe it's literally something life-threatening, and the hope of the future is all you've got to hold on to. Or maybe it's something chronic in your life right now, and you're on your way to bury any hope of anything, not, of it not dominating your life from now on. For the women on their way to bury Jesus that morning, it had been three days since he died. Any hope of ever seeing him again was gone. Jesus was dead. It doesn't get any more hopeless than that. So can you imagine how different the disciples' attitude would have been if they would have known about the resurrection? If just one of them was like, wait, 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 guys, wait. They knew what was going to happen. Okay, I just got to tell you, I know the next I know the big movie for next Christmas. I know what it is. I've already seen it, actually. It's already almost done. The director's a friend of mine, and he had some of us over to watch it and give some input as they're finishing up. So next Christmas, when you see this movie, uh, my name won't be on it, but I'm taking credit for it, okay? It's got a couple of the biggest stars in Hollywood. It's funny. It's fantastic. And I guarantee you, you're going to love it. And that's all I can say without getting him in trouble. And there's one phrase that is going to be made famous by this movie. Next January, we're all going to be saying this phrase to each other. And I want to tell you about it right now already because I know the secret. I want to get a personalized license plate that says the phrase on it so that I can, have the, I can be the guy, you know, that, that gets it. Because that's what I want to do. I, I want to be able to tell you because it's funny. And plus, it's fun to be in on the good news, right? I'd love to go back and I'd love to sit on the rock with the angel. And and what would we say in 2022? We'd say, wait for it, 
right? Wait for it. When they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a man dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. That's why he moved the rock. But go and tell his disciples he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I don't know what Easter means to you, but I'm here today to tell you that that because Jesus is alive, because the resurrection, all hopelessness should be gone. Higher love is here, and it's available to you. road starts on the south side and winds through the burbs until you get to this site that if you've seen it you never forget built in 1858 by the prisoners who were housed here joliet prison housed thousands of inmates before it was decommissioned in 2002 since then it's been home to vandals and film crews right like prison break public enemies and of course the blues brothers in fact 10 years ago i spent some time here myself Walking these grounds, I can literally feel the weight, the history of it all. It's quiet here, but there's one sound that was heard a hundred years ago and is still heard today. And I've heard the sound in movies, but I've never heard it myself. And that sound, wow, I mean, it feels so, so final, so hopeless. This place wasn't a temporary lockup, okay? This was maximum security for many. And it was the end of the line for many. The conditions were crude. The cells were cramped, and if you stepped out of line, they'd bring out the handcuffs and head straight to solitary confinement. Actually, the place I'm in right now is where if you weren't good enough for solitary confinement, they'd bring you to this solitary confinement. Then again, this area also doubled down as death row. So the floor above me is literally the place where many people were executed over the years. And that's what makes this so interesting. This spot on the floor, it says, it's never too late to mend. If that strikes a little memory, it's on a big poster behind the band in Jailhouse Rock scene in Blues Brothers. Okay, there you go. Had to dig in deep to remember that one. Had to dig in deep to figure out what all this was about. It's Never Too Late to Mend was a very famous book written by Charles Reed in 1856 two years before the prison was opened. And later they made it into a play. Like here's a poster from the play. So it was very well known when this prison was built. And it's the story of a man who was falsely thrown into prison because some rich guy wanted to steal his girlfriend. And the story of a wonderful priest who was the chaplain who worked hard for prison reform and and helped to make this man realize that it's never too late to mend. 
really made me wonder how the meaning of this got lost over a 150-year history of this place, right? I mean, later on in the 20th century, no one would have known the book or the reference. It was just a silly phrase on the floor, a reminder to heal, to put back together what was torn, to mend. (laughs) But did anybody believe it? What do you think of when you hear the word mend? No matter what comes to mind, mending comes from putting something back together, right? That, that's what it really is. Something that was joined but is put back together. It wasn't meant to be a part. It was meant to be one. So my question for you is, is there anything, is there anything in your life right now that feels that way? Disconnected, broken. At one point it was joined together and now it is tearing and pulling away. It's the force, the friction, the pressure of the events of life and our decisions that can tear things in two that were meant to be one. And and maybe that's where you're at today, that wherever the greatest tear in your life is, that it's too late. You look at this on the floor and you're like, come on. And you're right. If it's up to you and me, it's too late for a lot of things. But the interesting thing about this placement is that it's the death row, right? I mean, this is where the end was. So if you were here in this part of the prison, you would say, I'm pretty sure it's too late to mend. I'm not getting out of here. That's why the meaning of this engraving is so important. It was always a spiritual meaning. It was too late for the prisoners who came into this place to go back and make anything right. They couldn't undo what they had done or what had been done to them in the case of the guy who wrote the book. But it's never too late to mend your soul. The mending isn't about you. It's about the one who said, it is finished from the cross. What is finished? The tear in your soul between you and God. It's never too late to mend is about accepting what Jesus did to mend your relationship with God. All of us have some stuff we wish we could mend, and we're reminded of it on a daily basis. Reminders are kind of like handcuffs, right? Part restraint, part symbolic. It it keeps somebody from breaking loose in jail, I guess, but it's kind of a reminder that you don't have freedom also, right? Not only are you in prison, but you're locked up inside a place you're not meant to escape from. You're not getting out of solitary confinement off of death row without help from some higher love. You can spend your whole life sitting in the dark corner of your prison, waiting out the days in frustration, or you can take the invitation of Jesus. It's never too late. Mending is about accepting forgiveness. It's about higher love. That's what the life of Jesus shows us. From the moment he enters the world as a baby at Christmas to the moment he gets to the death on a cross, and that's a waiting room for him. That's like death row for him. That time in between was everything. His entire ministry revolved around the point of it's not too late. It wasn't too late for people who had wasted their life in selfishness. It wasn't too late for the blind or the lame or the sick to see God and be healed. It wasn't too late for the sinners or the Pharisees even to follow him. And even to his very last moments of human life on the cross, what happens? We talked about this at Christmas, but There was a man, the Bible says a man being executed for his crimes. And he said, hey, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, okay, I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus never stopped telling people that it was never too late. 
never too late to mend. The thief spent his entire life with the tear right down the middle. And when it seemed like there was no way to go back, luckily he was being crucified right next to Jesus who mended him at the very last moment because it's never too late to mend. He couldn't mend what he had broken. He could only ask Jesus to mend him. What's so crazy about it is that the thief and Jesus were both on crosses, right? Do you understand how significant the cross was and how ironic we're talking about it in here? The electric chair that once sat inside this building is long gone. It's in a museum somewhere. But, but here we are in the place where it was, a tool of deadly punishment. Some of you have a reminder of a tool of deadly punishment hanging around your neck, right? It's the cross, but have you thought about it that way? I mean, I know you think I'm pulling out a cross, but what if I had an electric chair symbol that I wore around like this? That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? But, but we've glorified the cross. We've made the cross seem so uh, wonderful because we've forgotten what the price was that Jesus had to pay to bring us the mending, to bring us the peace. I'm putting it away because it's just too weird, isn't it? Can you imagine how strange it would be to walk around 2,000 years ago with a cross on your necklace? It would have been like this. And the reason that it's never too late to mend is because Jesus took the punishment that we deserve and traded us the cross for our eternal salvation. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son to save us. That's what the cross really does mean. Charles Colson told about visiting a prison in Brazil that had been turned over to Christians to run it with Christian principles. And, and it was amazing what was going on. But he said, I went in and the walls were decorated with Psalms and Proverbs. And, and I had a guide that was showing me around that was a convicted murderer. And he escorted me to a notorious prison cell that was once used for torture. And he said, today that block houses only a single inmate. As we reached the end of the long corridor, Colson wrote, he said, he paused and he said, are you sure you want to go in? And I said, yes. And so slowly he opened the door to this punishment cell. And inside there was a beautifully carved crucifix carved by the inmates of the prisoner Jesus hanging on a cross. And the guide said, he's doing time for the rest of us. That's why it's never too late to mend. Remember that he loves you. Remember that your life has purpose. Remember that prison is not where you are created to live. Remember that it's never too late. This may be where you feel you're at today, in a prison, but what if you could get out? Disappointment 
Your Sunday's empty tomb Since when has impossible ever stopped you? It is finished. Darkness. Defeat. Heartbreak. The silhouette of a perfect man. Broken. Bruised. Executed. Is this death triumph? Is this a hero's ending? A silhouette of a perfect man who spoke forgiveness, who spoke truth, who spoke love. Since when has impossible ever been impossible for you? It is finished. It's only just begun. Just that's the stone that was rolled at the tree. 
I'm going to be honest. I'm getting tired of listening to me preach, but I'm not ever going to get tired of that. That was amazing, wasn't it? Oh, man. Good job, creative team. So listen, uh, you know, just the behind the scenes, that was a barber chair necklace, not an electric chair. I, I know you're like really weirded out by that, but you know, that wasn't it. And uh, we are, the, the Father's, it was a Father's Day thing 10 years ago. We did the Blues Brothers. We'll post that online uh, this week and let you see it again if you didn't see it. It was, it was pretty fun. So what if you could get out? Okay, that's the question, right? What if you really could mend? And it's hard, not just because, you know, you see the thing on the floor, it's never too late to mend and you have a hard time believing it, but it's also because of these chains, right? These, these handcuffs, these reminders, part restraint, part reminder. That's what I said, right? And you can look at the floor and go, it's never too late to mend. You can look at the wall and say, it's never too late to mend, but, but you've still got these. And you don't think it's really ever going to work if you've got these. Being in that prison couldn't help but remind me of the Shawshank Redemption, you know, the classic movie. Andy's in prison, wrongly accused of killing his wife. Red's in because he did. And this scene in particular, Andy is talking about the place he'd go if he got out, right? Zawataneo, Mexico. Remember that if you saw it? But Red doesn't think he has any business on the outside. And he's a real downer. And, and the classic line here in this scene is when Andy gets up, he says, well, I guess I'd better get busy living or get busy dying. And that's what I want to say to you. Red was just dying. He had no hope. He didn't think he could mend. But, but here, here's the gospel. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you are healed. Literally, by his wounds, you are mended. So today, what we want to do is we want to help you trade out what it is that has bound you, what it is that has reminded you of all the things that have gone wrong in the past, and we've given you this bracelet. It's just a simple little bracelet. It just pops off and pops on again. Then it might not be big enough for you. Maybe you're not a bracelet person. That's all good, okay? Put it on your keychain. Put it on a, on a rear view mirror somewhere so that you have a reminder that you swapped out your cuffs for freedom. In Deuteronomy, the Bible tells us to, to take the things of God and tie, literally says, tie them on your hands, write them on the door frames of your houses. So that's why we've given you this today. And if you're watching online, give us your address and we'll send it to you, okay? Because the thing is, you could send your, spend your whole life, like I said, in a dark corner of a prison with the doors already open. You could spend your whole life with the handcuffs on, even though they're not locked together. Today, we want you to take the invitation of Jesus. It's never too late to mend. Today can be your day. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. Now they know. Now they know the ending. They waited for it, and now it's there. And they ran to tell the disciples. Because Jesus came that his joy might be in us and that our joy may be full. How can you have joy if you're afraid? Well, it goes together with hope, right? Do you want to know what your Easter picture ought to look like? I'll show you a picture. This is from eight years ago. My wife and I were celebrating our 30th anniversary, and we got the kids together. Most of them were in California, so we went out there. And, and Becca's not even married yet here. And, and, and we got together to take the picture for our 30th anniversary, or so we thought. 
And at some point, the photographer said, okay, everybody say October 12th. We're like, could we just say cheese? You're so weird. I, I, you know what? We just didn't get it. And he said it again, October 12th. And we're like, okay, October 12th. And then since we weren't getting it, he said, Ash, the one on the left, put your hands on Rachel's stomach and say October 12th. And that's when we finally got the hint that Rachel was pregnant with our first grandchild. Now, what is so great about this, and you grandparents know what that moment is when you know you're gonna be in that situation. But the fun part is we have it all on camera. So I just want you to watch my reaction to joy. Okay, look at my reaction, just look at me. It's the stupid reaction to joy. That's what it ought to look like. And, and I don't even know anybody else is around. I'm almost out of the picture and finally it's like, oh, I guess I should go hug everybody, right? That's, that's the reaction, what is that? That is the reaction to the joyful promise of new life. That's what Easter ought to do for you. It is higher love. It is grace instead of karma. So the women hurried away afraid. Yeah, we still have to live in this world, but filled with joy because we have hope, because the kingdom of heaven is here. So as you put on this bracelet, as you wear this bracelet, remember it's never too late. It's never too late to mend. Max Lucado writes, if there are a thousand steps between you and God, God will take 999 of them, but he'll leave the last one for you. God has taken the astonishing steps of appearing in the flesh, performing miracles, fulfilling prophecy, rising from the dead. He has given you the Bible, Christian friends, and an opportunity today to hear his invitation. But the last step is yours. I wanna encourage you to make sure you take a step towards God this Easter. I'm gonna pray right now, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna encourage you, even if, if you're online, whatever campus you're at, whatever, to take a step towards God. Maybe you've never done it, maybe you have, and it's been a while, and you've kinda of lost your higher love. All you need to do is just, what did, what did he say? Whoever hears and believes, Believe, tell God you believe. Say yes to Jesus. I'm gonna pray and if you wanna pray along with me, um, just pray in your heart. There's something spiritual, supernatural that happens as we do this. So join me. First of all, God, I just wanna say thank you for what you have done. That you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And the next verse, that, that you did not send your son into the world to judge the world, but that the world could be saved. We know we don't deserve it. We know we deserve karma. And we're thankful for grace. But Jesus, if there are people in listening to me today who, who need a, to, to open up to you, would you just knock really loudly right now on the door of their heart? People, if you want to pray with me, just, just join me very simply. Jesus, I'd rather have grace than karma. I believe, I believe that you came and gave your life for me on that cross. And I accept what you did for me 
as a gift and I'm opening it today. And I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, give me that higher love. I need it now more than ever. That it's in your name that we all pray. Amen. If there's a card in front of you at all of our campuses and there's a way for you to do this online, I'd love for, to know what's going on in your life. If you need to take the next step, whatever that is, if you just prayed that prayer today, please fill it out, leave it on the way out, and we will get in touch with you. We want to help you on the journey. And there's a lot of you this Easter weekend, but we want it to be personal. We want to help you with it, okay? Um, maybe your next step is baptism. Did you hear that we baptized 250 people last weekend? Congratulations to those of you who did it. I know some of you are out here born again. It was awesome. I mean, a a way for us to symbolize what has gone on in our hearts. And right now we're going to do communion. And um, you you need to know, it it doesn't matter whether you're from Parkview or not, if you're a believer, even if it's like just now happened, great. Do this with us. There's a little piece of cellophane on the top that you pull off and and the bread is there. And then there's there's a piece of foil and you pull that off for the for the cup and and the juice, and we'll do this all together. But I was thinking about this as we were in that prison. You know, I was thinking about, I mean, John Wayne Gacy and and others that had their final meal in that very spot. And what it's like to have your final meal. And then I thought about communion. I mean, that's really what this is, right? It's It's a final meal for Jesus before he went to the cross. And I think I probably would have done it differently because Jesus decided to get his friends together and go into this this room and and have a gathering with his friends, including Judas, who he knew was gonna go betray him. I, I I don't think I'd have that guy at my final meal if I knew he was the cause of it, would you? And not only that, but when he gets there, what does he do? He washes their feet. Do you know that? He washes their feet. He says, look, I'm getting ready to die, but I'm going to give you one more lesson. Higher love means you love each other and serve each other. And finally, he got to the point where he said, listen, I know there's going to be a time when it's easy to go back to thinking it's karma instead of grace. So I want you to do this. I want you to take this bread and, and remember it as my body that was given to you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And the Matthew version says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. What does that mean? This is the cup of grace. Karma was the old covenant. Grace is the new covenant. It is poured out for you whenever you drink this Remember me. All of these reminders, the empty tomb, the cross, bracelet, the bread, the juice, the engraving of it's never too late to mend, they're all symbols and signposts pointing us back to Jesus. Would you point your heart back to him today? Father God, thank you. After 32 years of Easter services in this place, it still is the best story ever. So 
easy, it's so easy for us to go back to karma. And Lord, we need your grace and your higher love now than, more than ever before. Be with us as we go from here. Sure, afraid, but filled with joy because you paid the price for us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.